Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast. I'm Johnny and I'm joined by some friends. We have James. Hey, hey. We have Samuel. Hello. And we have Daniel. What is happening? And we have an interesting episode here today. Uh, we have James here uh, presenting for us, and hopefully this time it's about a human and not an animal. <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged on that one. Don't deceive us. <laughs> yeah. No, don't. no. I was um, thinking about a possible unsung hero for this episode, guys, and I realize that there are a lot of inventions in our lives that we certainly take for granted. And For example, because- the telefono. <laughs> exactly the telephono of course being one of them um but one thing that particularly stood out to me as the weather continues to warm rapidly here in texas was air conditioning oh yeah mm. air conditioning you know what's really ironic mm. we're recording this episode in my upstairs uh office closet and i turned off the ac to record this because otherwise there's a hum in the background and i don't want right. that right yep. so that's ironic <laughs> So you're saying the inventor that you're about to tell us is trying to hinder our recording. Yeah, James. You know, I maybe should have rethought this before (laughs) addressing this topic. Mm. Um, But, you know, one thing I found that was interesting is I I think around 80 to 90 percent of all households in the United States have air conditioning. Um, That's how prevalent it is today. Now, I know that number is not quite as high in places like Europe and places like Asia, India, Africa, for example. I know even in uh, Kazakhstan when I was growing up, um, air conditioning wasn't as prevalent, one, partially because of its cost, I'm sure as well, but also because of the, I guess, the cultural mindset, the traditions, habits, even the weather might contribute to that as well to some degree. But um, I I really do realize and take for granted um, lately how how dependent I kind of am on air conditioning in a lot of ways. It in some ways makes living in the Southeast tolerable. (laughs) So without further ado, I will take you back now to a land before air conditioning. (laughs) Back in a dark past, I will briefly explain to you the lengths that people have gone to, to try to control air temperatures. Um, Briefly, Um, We always know that one form of air conditioning is the use of fans, whether they are handheld or electronically operated. Um, Of course, in ancient Egypt and in other societies, we know people would often use slaves or other labor to continuously fan themselves on a hot day. Is that that a real thing? I thought that was just like a movie thing. No, no, there there are. We do have murals and different reliefs in ancient Egypt and other societies that do show royalty being... Uh, you know, sitting on a boat, for example, on the Nile, and they have slaves fanning them. That was definitely a very common practice. And it all just places like China, places like Europe. I mean, it it was a common practice in a lot of different places. Wow. Um, but we also know, for example, that um, another thing that people might do to try to get their homes cooled um, was uh, Emperor Elagabalus um, from the third century. This was a, a brief, um, you know, a short-lived um, principate of Emperor um, Elagabalus in the crisis of the third century in Rome, he actually was kind of crazy in a lot of ways. But one of the things that he did is he would actually import huge mounds of snow um, by donkey cart into his garden Hmm. in his villa in the summer. 
in order to cool the area. Wow. So I kid you not, like imagine having, you know, car- thousands of cartloads of donkeys every month coming down, piling up massive amounts of snow and ice in your garden just to keep your villa cool in the summer. I mean, that's the kind of lengths people would go to to cool wow. if they had a kind of wealth and power like a Roman emperor. It's would. a real power move right there. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I wanted to highlight this because it gives you an indication as to the equivalent manpower it takes without sophisticated technology to cool something relative to the invention of the air conditioning unit and what that actually does. Um, so I think it's kind of a cool kind of comparison. You have earlier on hmm. massive amounts of snow taken down from mountains by donkey cart is a way to cool. Or, of course, the air conditioning unit can do the same thing um, even more effectively, which is you cool. know You know, it's interesting. So I don't remember the science behind it that was explained to me, but uh, something we take, like we definitely take air conditioning for granted and it's even like refrigerators for granted, like the way that they keep things cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It was, I believe it was my brother, Daniel, Daniel Sieberhagen, shout out to Daniel Sieberhagen if you're listening to this on your commute to work. <laughs> How's it going? But uh, he was explaining this to me. He's He's an engineer and he was... Uh, you know, he's taken like classes on thermodynamics. It's a lot easier to heat something up than mm-hmm. cool it down. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> because when you heat something up, you're just adding energy to it, right? You 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 add a certain amount of energy. You know, well, the, the extent of my knowledge in this stuff goes back to our tech class in high school, where me and was it Samuel? Yeah, I was. I was in that yes. one. Yeah, yeah, oh, we won that. Samuel won and that. I won. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. <gasps> okay, let's explain what it was. Oh yeah, it was a it was a challenge where everyone paired up in the class, and we had to like come up with our own insulators for was it a bottle of Coke? I think it was a Dr Pepper, Coca Cola, or Dr Pepper. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the idea was whoever could like create the best insulation for it and have mm-hmm. it last the longest in a cool temperature would win. And I remember Samuel that. And I won. Wow. wow. We Congratulations. found our gifting <laughs> from that day. And I've never gone near thermodynamics ever again. Yep. yep. So I, I'm going to talk about the history of the AC unit, obviously, and, and um, what this kind of involved. And, of course, obviously, heating coils were a big part of that, which it does involve, you know, um, you know, pressurizers, evaporators, all these kinds of complicated uh, mechanisms that I'm not going to get into today because we don't have that kind of time, and that's beyond my expertise, to be frank. And I don't think people want to listen to us explain the science behind air conditioning units. But um, I do want to talk about the fact that, and I always want to point this out whenever we talk about inventions, no invention is made in isolation. Whenever we think of, you know, kind of a one person invented this thing, that's almost always an oversimplification because usually inventions are slow incremental builds on top of previous inventions and previous bodies of work and technology, right? So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and get into the story. So uh, Willis Carrier, who is our unsung hero, he was born November 26th in 1876. He lived for 73 years and died in 1950. Um, but to get back to his birth, he was born in Angola, New York, to Duane and Elizabeth Carrier. And uh, we know some things about him. Like as a kid, he said he was not quite good at math initially, and his mom would have to explain things to him, and she would show him how fractions worked by cutting up apples for him. And she really inspired in him particularly Genius. the <laughs> a, a kind of an, a, a love for engineering and for figuring problems out hands-on and for discovering answers to questions. Um, he really cited his mother often as an inspiration in his life. And he did live a rural lifestyle, so he often was tasked with repairing and fixing things on his own, which he grew very proficient in. Um, he had a very one-track mind, and he was highly devoted to whatever he was focused on. He's one of those kind of guys, you know, who just 
gets his mind stuck on something and he can't leave it. Uh, there's a book about him that says one time he was packing for a trip and he took a suitcase with him. And after he arrived in his location, he realized that he'd only packed one handkerchief in his entire suitcase because he was so distracted by something else. Um, <laughs> just kind of has that kind of absent-mindedness about him that shows that he's really focused on something and he's not going to divert any attention other places. So I thought it was a fun story about him. But uh, we do know that he went to Cornell University on scholarship um, and graduated with a bachelor degree of engineering in 1901. So he certainly had a, a good opportunity afforded to him there. And then in 1902, he was employed and went to work for Buffalo Forge Company in Buffalo, New York. And this is kind of where the story all begins. So, um, Willis initially designed systems that were made to heat wood and coffee. And of course, as Johnny mentioned before, understanding how to heat something is a lot easier than learning how to cool something. So um, that was obviously known, that was a known practice and there were technologies that could do that kind of thing. So he would design certain ventilation systems that were helpful in heating up wood and coffee in different um, production facilities. And he was pretty successful with his job. So eventually he's promoted in his company to the director of experimental engineering um, and he joins that department kind of as its head. And eventually, he is given a job at a publishing company called Sackett Wilhelms. And this company was having some problems with their printing machines. Essentially, what they were doing is they had a bunch of machines in a room that were printing a bunch of pamphlets and papers and, you know, whatever else you might be printing in a print shop. But they were printing in color. And one thing they noticed was happening is that in summer months, the room was getting so hot and so humid. And because of that heat, the expansion and shrinkage of the paper and, and of the colors kind of getting washed out and getting wet is that the printing press was not able to print precisely and accurately like they wanted to. You know, the colors would be shifted off. The paper wouldn't hold the ink well because it would get smushed and, and get runny from the humidity. So this was causing a lot of problems, obviously, for their their profitability and their ability to, again, print the amount that they needed to every day. So this company actually hired Willis Carrier to come and find a way to keep temperatures and humidity constant in their printing room. So he kind of had a list of things he wanted. He said, I want you to develop me a machine, the, the client said to Willis Carrier, that will keep this uh, room constantly at a 55% humidity level and keep the temperature decently low as well. Um, so that was kind of the task that he had for him. Now, we do know that fan systems existed in, at this point that can move air around buildings and could somewhat to a degree control temperature, but we, nothing had been developed at this point that could actually control the exact humidity and temperature level um, hmm. in a certain room. So this was kind of a new area that uh, Willis Carrier was working in. So we had to find a way to make the room less humid without just pumping it full of dry air, which would make it too dry. Because if right. you would just say, okay, well, the room's too humid, let's just pump a bunch of dry air in there. Well, what happens if you're pumping a bunch of dry air is eventually it'll get too dry, and then it'll continue to oscillate if you take the air off, and yeah. it'll go up and down. You have to have a continuous flow of air at the perfectly um, at the perfect humidity level in order to maintain that level consistently. Otherwise, you'll get that oscillation in humidity levels, which you don't really want in this case. So um, he, get, he went to work on this project, you know, very determined. And apparently he was on a train one day and he got this brilliant idea. He looked around and he was in a train on a very, very foggy day. And he realized that because fog, right, is air that is 100% saturated with water, if he could somehow artificially create fog... That was the only way to be certain that he could create a specific number or percentage of humidity 
as a starting hmm. point. So if, if I'm making sense here, basically, it's like, how do you create 55% humidity? Well, that's kind of hard to do because you have to figure out a way to exactly hit that number. Well, what's something you can hit with absolute certainty? If you create fog, you know you've hit with certainty 100% humidity, right? <laughs> so when he realizes that this is a way that he can start, he decides if I can create fog and then systematically or very carefully lower that amount of humidity to reach a certain level, I could then continuously take fog, lower its humidity level to a certain point once I practice the amount of precision that I need, and then pump it into a building, I could actually create the humidity levels that I want. Sounds like a pretty like roundabout way to get to the end result. And this is exactly why. It's a very good observation, Johnny. This is exactly why nobody had really come up with this invention before. Because most people are thinking, right, if you want to get rid of humidity, you find a way to take it out. You yeah. don't think... I'm going to create more humidity in order yeah. to get rid of the humidity, yeah. right? <laughs> imagine, imagine if he's like pitching it to the to the publishing company, like, okay, so I'm gonna I'm going to help you with your printing. First, we need to pump up the humidity, yeah. <laughs> make it a hundred percent, make a fog machine. No, no, okay. we want less humidity. <laughs> it's like I, I understand. Pump it up. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Right, Give me and, fog. And because it is not very intuitive, at least in a kind of initial you know, base look at this idea. It's not very intuitive. That's kind of the reasons why it was a a very unique and profound idea that he actually had. So what eventually happened is that he and his team got together and he decided to build a box in which he could trap air. So he got a a big, you know, he constructed a metal frame or a big, massive, big, you know, box construction. He got fans, he got a garden sprayer and he got a heat, got heating coils. And so what he would do, and I'm going to try to explain this in kind of a very basic level, um, description because again i don't know all the details of it either myself i'm not a scientist i'm not an engineer um and i don't want to bore anybody but i'm going to try to explain kind of what he ended up doing and why this is really cool so he would take one fan in the one side of the box and he would suck in hot warm air and then what he would use is he'd take um a hose and kind of use these the, the cooling the, the coils as well and have a hose that would spray cold water into the hot air and by cooling it and bringing the temperatures to a specific point, he could then create fog. But then what he would do is as the fog was created in this kind of funnel process, he would then reduce the amount of humidity by precisely adding specific amounts of dry air back into the fog. And then he would measure and see, you know, how much air can I pump into this to where it gets down to the level that I want to get. And so by Mm. testing it and retesting it and continually generating fog by, you know, drawing in hot air, spraying it with cold water, getting it to that fogging point, um, and then kind of introducing dry air at a certain rate into the pipeline, he could then determine exactly how much he needed to let in into this controlled space so he could create a certain level of humidity in this system. And then what he would do is then he'd then pump it out the other side with another fan. So what you're doing is he has to have a constant supply of water and he has to have a constant supply of air and electricity, right? You kind of have to have these components in there. And obviously he would use agents like ammonia in it as well initially to um, help the process go along. Um, But what ends up happening is that in the room with this whole contraption he builds, he's able to create the perfect humidity um, and keep the temperature low at the same time by continuing this cycle. And so one really cool fact about this is the the cooling that he was able to generate with this machine um, is the equivalent of using 108,000 pounds of ice a day to cool Whoa. a room that sucks. Wow. Just oh based on this simple concept. Again, it's not simple, but on this simple idea that he developed into a complicated machine. So, so this, the cooling effect came with the humidity 
mm-hmm. effect, essentially. Yeah, I, as far as I understand it, he would be using this, these coils and he'd be using the cold air being blown through everything to create enough cold air to lower the temperature. I don't, again, I, I can't get into all the details of this, and of course, I, I'm not going to claim to understand this completely myself, but that's kind of the basic premise, is creating fog, then adding from that 100% humidity enough dry air to bring it down to 55%. So, so I think this has to do with one of the concepts I was talking about um, where, you know, you create heat by adding energy and you have to cool things by taking away energy. Well, the way you take away energy is you have to have somewhere to put it. So wherever you put it mm-hmm. is going to get hotter. Yep. So right. I think that's the idea with the hot air that he incorporated in this is that he's using that to take away the energy from the from the other air, which right. is creating it cool. Right, mm-hmm. and it has to do with the, mm-hmm. he developed a concept of, of dew point, the, the point at which... Uh, water turns into fog and, and, and with mixing with air and all this kind of stuff. Of course, I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, I'm way out of my league in that regard. But it is really interesting to see how he developed this. And of course, he continued to perfect his device over several years. He got it more efficient, uh, smaller, and eventually he gets a patent for it in 1906. And it's called the Apparatus for Treating Air. So that's kind of the official date when we say that's when the invention is official. And this device is so successful that he eventually creates his own branch in the company that he worked for called Carrier Air Conditioning Company of America. And one cool thing about this is actually initially right after it was made, this is a massive expensive contraption. There's no way you're going to ever have this in a home or a small area. So um, what, who really the people who really caught on initially were movie theaters. You might not know this, but movie theaters at this time period, again, we're still in the early 1900s, movie theaters almost never were open or were successful in the summer um, because, because oh. wait wait can i can i guess yeah yeah is it because <laughs> the real mm-hmm. the, the reels for for movies you know the, the the movie reels that actually played the movie was so flammable that in the summer <laughs> they got too hot and all the movie theaters would burn they out you know i don't think so but that's an interesting <laughs> idea but one of the problems, of course, is just the heat, right? You'd, you're kind of in this massive warehouse structure, essentially, right? And you're all piled in there, a closed space. It gets really, really hot. Nobody wants to sit in an enclosed, hot room like that. Yeah, so summer. that's essentially what I said. That's pretty yeah. much the same thing. <laughs> gets so hot in there. That was my, that was my point. The fire was metaphorical. Is yeah, <laughs> fire like, fire like people allegory. were too hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, the cool thing is that movie theaters initially... Um, realize the advantage of this. Because think about it. If you're closed for like three or four months out of the year, that's a whole lot of profit out of the window. That's true. So right. even though these machines that, that were initially made, the air conditioning units, were so expensive, there's one example of a theater actually installing it in their building and then being open for the summer. Audiences love it, and they make back all of their profit from what they lost oh, by purchasing, wow. purchasing the machine in one summer. So it's like one summer they already made back the money that they used to purchase this really expensive machine. Good so, interesting. Yeah, that's eventually um, it, it kind of expands. Eventually, uh, the very first home it was made, uh, air conditioning unit was made in, was the Charles Gates Mansion, and uh, it was a really massive and expan- expensive contraption. So it wasn't really ever used very often. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, things go on. In World War One, his company had to dissolve and his branch. Um, oh, for no. financial and obviously the, the company's shifting to only producing stuff for the war effort and so several carrier and several of his colleagues moved from uh, their own company to create uh, a different one called the carrier engineering corporation in 1915 and then in 1922 the next big development in air conditioning technology um, he developed a ac system that's basically still used today now again i'm not going to get into how this works but it's it's different how it's used today because basically you have um, a, a compressor and then an evaporator 
with a refrigerant liquid going through a cycle. So you'll have the compressor that makes it hot and then the evaporator makes it cold and it kind of cycles in and out of your house and the hot air is expelled outside and kind of a unit on your wall outside. And then the cold air hmm. kind of comes back in and is shot out through, you know, oh, an AC unit. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's one of the, yeah, you know, we have those little machines often that are put up in buildings that have yeah, like, yeah, know, yeah. a little vent fan. That, that That's the kind of the system that he eventually developed in, in 1922 that was more popularized later on because this, hey, this made it much more small and everything. So these smaller units... Um, because of this new system that was developed in the, tw- in the 20s, these small units were um, able to be installed in places like homes. Even cars started to have these systems on them. Like we know today, we all have AC units in our cars. Yeah. But That's really uh, funny. I, I imagine, you know, like you were saying, those those units that you see inside people people's houses on the wall, mm-hmm. I imagine that like just outside of a car window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. Sitting out there. Yeah. You got you got the giant telephone in the car. You got the giant AC. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, like old technology, the equivalent of what's in a new car, like in an old yeah, car, how yeah. it would have to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, but apparently the very first cars that had it, you had to like turn off the car and then you'd have to independently start the I feel like that's inefficient. Yeah. I'm coasting because yeah. I need the AC on. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But Jesus, I mean, uh, take the weed. <laughs> would, would they let go of the wheel? You don't have to let go of the wheel. <laughs> yeah, okay, never mind, man. <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I can talk about more things like that, but what do you guys think are some of the advantages of having air conditioning like this in, in society in general? Well, um, okay. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a lot of places on Earth that are now habitable. That's a good I mean, point. Sure. Think about and it. Summer, and summer is now everyone's favorite season. Yeah. I don't think that Las Vegas would be even in existence because it's in such a terrible place if you yeah. think about it. It's just right. hot. In the right? of the desert. Yeah, right? like and nobody wants yeah. to live there. It it significantly gives humankind the advantage of, you know, nature all of a sudden isn't really determining where you live much more. Yeah. Well, it, it, does make me, it. it does make me wonder, and maybe this is my my privilege coming out, but like, <laughs> do you ever get used to the overwhelming amount of heat? You know, like if somebody lives in a constant, like really hot temperature, really humid temperature all the time, does it come to a point where you're just like, yeah, this is normal life. And mm-hmm. the idea of an air conditioner would just be kind of unthinkable. Honestly, I'd imagine yes, because again, I hate to go back to this, but when I first came to the US, like I was legit freezing inside, but yeah. everyone else were in these, you know, short shorts and t-shirts and everyone else was fine, which I could not believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much more so for someone who lives in a you know way hotter climate and never have that AC? Right. I feel like they kind of would like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll take for example, right? Like, I, I mean, I grew up without AC. We had fans, but we didn't really have AC, and I was so much more used to it than I am now. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife lived in Cambodia, and it is so hot there. But she got so used to it after a while; she didn't even think about it. Exactly. But at the same time, I mean, there's almost this cultural phenomenon. I don't, if you guys go to the Mediterranean. And even other places um, that are really hot, you'll notice there's almost this cultural shift where there's kind of this expected period of time in the day where you don't really do anything. Yeah, you know, kind of like kind of like you know, yeah. from twelve to two maybe you don't really the work. It's a time. long lunch break. A lot of you know Mediterranean climates are like this. I know Cyprus, Greece are like this. I know a lot of places in Cambodia. There's kind of it's kind of expected that you don't work in the middle of the day. It's yeah. just too hot. And then at nighttime, you have a much longer period at night where people are open and at it. I think you, you yeah. were in Cairo, right, Johnny? Yeah. I'm sure, that so was similar. When I was in when I was in Egypt, I spent a few months there. Uh, some of my friends, you know, we, we played soccer together. The only time that we would ever play soccer was after 1 a.m. 
Right. Um, <laughs> and that was like the only time that the fields were open. Yeah. Pretty much. Like <laughs> the ones so that funny. we went to, at least. Because you can't, it's like, that's the only uh, like palatable time to be out playing soccer. Right. Yeah. And I just think mm. about the grand scale. Like there are massive football stadiums that are air conditioned, right? And how that affords yeah. people to play and engage in activities they never would have been able to before without the air conditioning no. unit. I feel like it's it's such a convenience now that like if it was taken away from us, we would have been much worse off than if we had never had it in the first place. Right. Oh right. yeah. I mean think of think of how mad we get when we go into the car in the summer and it's hundred degrees out yeah. and we have to wait for the AC to turn on. Yeah. <laughs> no. Those are like some of the most painful few minutes of my life, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, it's nothing honestly, else more painful. Like, oh my God, it's really pretty bad. <laughs> it's rough. But I I like to bring this up as well. I mean, this invention drastically transformed um, in industry as well you know a bunch of companies bought into getting air conditioning early on because they saw studies that showed that worker productivity skyrocketed when their factories were cooled so world war ii specifically in the 50s especially in the 40s and 50s saw huge growth in air conditioning because it was like oh wow that is why russia has the highest productivity (laughs) (laughs) the coldest we have best worker in the world (laughs) no air conditioning needed (laughs) yeah well i have i have firsthand experience with this because in our office here in in south carolina there was a period where uh, the the AC system had broken down, or at least like one of them, so it wasn't working. And it was extremely not only warm and very hot, but also very humid in the office. Mm. And, you know, you hear, like, not to comment on people's nature or whatever, but, you know, people start complaining and people are like, oh, I need to go get water. I, yeah. I need to go on a walk. And so it, it really does take its hit on morale yep. and productivity yeah. for yep. sure. It really does, yeah. I mean, even like meat industry, even hospitals, you know, there's, you know, people dying of heat exhaustion. Again, it's much less likely nowadays for someone to die of heat exhaustion if they're close to any building, pretty much, in the States. You're close to a building in the States, go inside, boom, you know, you're instantly in a 70-degree room. I mean, that's a huge difference as well in terms of medical care. I mean, I I just think of so many different instances in which having controlled temperatures drastically transforms industry and, Hmm. and, yeah, the various aspects of our culture. So, and and all that to say, we have... uh, Willis Carrier to thank for that. So, wow. Kind of wow. Thank you, Willis. Thank you, Willis. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Willis. <laughs> Next time you walk into a building, look up to your left, that AC unit, and say, thank you, Willis. Thank you, Willis. Yeah. We should formally thank our unsung heroes at the end more often, honestly. We should. Yeah, no, thank, you, Willis. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Willis. Thank you, Willis. <laughs> uh, By first right. names only. Yeah. Well, uh, we want to get you want to get started on a song. Do you do you want to sing the song? I mean, you did the thing. Oh man. I I vote I vote Johnny sings this one. Well, yeah. Okay. I'll play play you too. Okay. Well, okay. I think that's a little bit unfair because in the previous (laughs) few episodes, James was taking notes the whole time, and I have not been preparing at all because I did not know that it would be on me to do this. That makes it all the better. So I guess it's it's me. Is that what you guys you guys said you want me to do it? Yep. It is. Do it. Spoken. The council has spoken. Okay. Willis Carrier made me cold And dehumidified my tears And though his story was never told He has blown away my fears Of having a heat stroke Ooh. 
I think that was pretty good. Very nice. Nice. All right. Oh, man. Very cold. All right. Well, is there any uh, closing thoughts, guys? Um, I'm trying to think of the the T-shirt slogan for Willis Carrier. Willis Carrier. Stay cool, my friends. I don't know. (laughs) He's a cool guy. (laughs) What a cool guy. Stay cool. Cool, Willis. Yeah, will. <laughs> thanks. No. thanks. What for you making talking me about, cool. Willis? <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> okay, I think I. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if we could come up with a T-shirt slogan exactly, but yeah, yeah we'll, right. we'll think of one and post it on our social media. How about that? Yeah, just just be thankful for AC people. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yes. Every time you see an AC, say thank you, Willis. <laughs> thank you, Willis. <laughs> if people started heeding our words. And thanking everything around them, it would be a real weird world. Now. Thank you, Willis. Thank Honestly, you, that, that could just be on the T-shirt, like a picture of an AC and thank you, Willis. I like that. Thank yeah, you, simple. Guess oh, the there point. You go. Yeah. There we go. Cool. Thank you, Willis. All right. Well, with that, we will say goodbye and see you guys on the next one. Guy, everybody, stay cool. <laughs> bye, bye.